Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning, my friends. Hello and welcome to it. It is the Tuesday edition of the Michael Duke Show. Uh, It is, wow, the snowpocalypse just continues, my friends. Just absolutely continues. Uh, the, the wildest ride you could ever ask for again, the, uh, setting records, uh, three of the last seven days setting snowfall records and everything else. Uh, the city is now out in the uh, Anchorage area plowing state roads because the state can't keep up and doesn't have the right equipment apparently to chop down all the ice and everything else. Uh, upcoming weather for the Matsu and the Anchorage area includes, Freezing fog this morning before 9 a.m. Because, you know, you didn't need anything else but the freezing fog. Uh, And then, of course, uh, cloudy with a chance of snow tonight. Temperatures falling to 20 degrees. And then by Wednesday, more snow with a high of about 36. So, I mean, that'll be just fantastic, right? Oh, man. I mean, why can't we just deal with politics? That's so much easier than all this snow, right? I mean, that's just how it goes. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into it. It is Tuesday, which means it is uh, the weekly top three with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, three big topics. And then, of course, in hour two, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, Chris Story, whose uh, topic this week is going to be Backyard Booty, which is either the name of a fantastic new club somewhere or it's, I don't know, it's going to be great stuff. So we're going to be talking with him, but uh, with before we get too far afield, let's just jump into it and bring uh, Mr. Keith Leon from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets to give us a whole a whole rundown on all the good slash bad news in the state. Good morning, Mr. Keithley, sir. How are you? Well, good morning, Mr. Dukes. How are you? You know, I, I'm. This is day. To, see, I've been. I'm going to stay home again today because the roads are still bad. They finally plowed out my road, my 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 uh, street, at about um, I don't know. I think it was nine o'clock last night. They came by. Um, because there was eight and a half inches of snow in my street in the cul-de-sac. Uh, I, there was no way I was going anywhere. So, But I think I'm going to stay home one more day. It's just one of those things. Thank goodness for telework, right? I mean, we're going to make it work. I'm sorry. I'm speaking to a retired guy, so what do I know? But, I mean, you know, <laughs> thank goodness for telework. Um, How, how's, your, how's your power doing out there? You know, it's funny. I, I made a mention yesterday on the show. I said, if for any reason, folks, I all of a sudden just – you don't hear me anymore. It's because the power, I mean, the power has been flickering real hard over the last few days. There's been a few times I've got a whole bank of battery backups in the other room that run most of the equipment for a short period of time, but 
boy, every time they hear it, you clack, you could hear it go clack every time it happens. And it's, uh, yeah, all those trees with all, you could see my whole yard. Every tree is kind of bowed over into my lawn, like doing, it's bowing to the house kind of thing. And that's happening out there all over the place. So not too bad. Um, Free, freezing fog. Didn't, didn't, didn't you try to get away from that when you moved down from Fairbanks? <laughs> the ice fog is something else. Yeah. No, it's just, I think ice fog and freezing fog are two different things, but I, is that I, right? I, I, I think so. But I mean, I would, I would assume <laughs> you, so. You hope so. <laughs> God, I hope so. Ice fog is so brutal because <laughs> ice fog, usually you have to have something like 30 below and some kind of inversion factor going on. But anyway, um, let's, uh, <clears throat> let's get into it here, Brad. Let's get started on number one, which is, uh, the question of, is Adam Crumb bad at math, or has uh, Mike Dunleavy just given up on the PFD? What? Uh, give me, give me some, give me some context here, and let's run this down. So there was an article last week in the Frontiersman, or uh, this week actually, in the Frontiersman, uh, reporting on a speech that Adam Crumb gave at the Resource Development Council, and the the title is "Alaska's Finances Look Good." Revenue commissioner says, still, problems loom. And the first paragraph sort of says, says it all. Uh, Alaska's financials are looking good, State Revenue Commissioner Adam Crum says. The state budget is balanced with oil, and with oil higher oil prices, there may even be a small surplus this year. Um, you will recall last week's show, the, the leadoff was, are the Democrats bad at math or is there something else going on? Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's going over to the Republican side now. What Crum is saying is, is the, the, the budgets and balance, uh, we may even have a surplus, uh, revenues are great. Well, the budget is in balance only if you ignore the PFD, only if you ignore that, that troublesome statute that still is on the books, that hasn't been amended, that, uh, that, that, that specifies, sets, sets forth what the, how you calculate the PFD and what the PFD is supposed to be. The budget's in balance only if you ignore that statute. And, and what the Democrats are do, did that we talked about last week is the Democrats are saying, not only do you ignore that statute, you just sort of ignore that it ever existed. And you, and you just look at the, at, at a budget on any given year, and you only look at unrestricted general funds, and you only look at those portion of un unrestricted general funds that we want to look at. You don't look at the PFD portion. Uh, you only look at unrestricted general funds, and then you can say, then the Democrats say, not only is the budget in balance, it's in surplus, because as we discussed last week, Burt set aside $300 million, took $300 million extra out of the PFD to create this contingency fund that sits in the, in the UGF budget. Crum doesn't go that far, but Crum says the 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 FY24 budget is in balance, and and we're doing just fine and dandy. Thank you very much. Um, I just love that. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. I mean, that's you know, that's insanity. The budget is balanced. We're spending more than we take in. Don't worry, it's still balanced. <laughs> and all all everybody is doing is is shifting the deficit. That exists in the UGF budget. I mean, we're about a we're about a billion dollars in deficit, a billion three after you add on Burt's three hundred million dollar contingency, but we're about a billion dollars in deficit in the FY twenty four budget, 
and all they've done is they've taken and they've taken the that that billion dollars out of the PFD and moved it over to the UGF budget and says, ah, voila, it's balanced. And, you know, it's sort of like I did an analogy in the in the column I did last week for the landmine. It's sort of like the guy who, you know, has a credit card deficit that, you know, when he goes in for a for a you know new mortgage, the bank says, oh, you got this credit card and deficit. That's a problem. And he says, no, no worries about that. And takes, you know, whatever amount of money he needs out of his other credit card <laughs> and moves it into this credit card, you know, pays off this credit card and says, huh. Look, I'm balanced. You don't need to worry about that anymore. And ignores, you know, that he's just all he's done is move the deficit to the second credit card. And he's hoping he's hoping that the that the bank just overlooks that second credit card and doesn't doesn't say anything about it. Well, that's exactly what the Democrats last week that we talked about last week and what Adam Crum, Adam Crum, the Republican commissioner of of, of resources or, or revenue. What Adam Crum is is doing this 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 week, they're saying yes, the UGF budget uh, uh, is in deficit, but guess what? We'll just take money out of this other budget, out of the PFD. We'll move it over to the UGF, and we'll say and we'll say, you know, we're in balance. Don't look behind the curtain. Don't look at what we just did to the PFD, that statutory account that's created specifies i mean there's there's no confusion about how you calculate the pfd right the statute statute says what the statute says that 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 stat, that that account we just put in deficit just ignore that and um and and you know and we'll just declare you know we'll declare victory and 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 go on it is i mean either adam crumb's bad at math <laughs> or a bad banker or 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 bad at everything uh and and doesn't account for what's going on that uh, on in that second account the pfd either he's bad at math or the republicans this is the republican commissioner of revenue the republicans are giving are just as bad as the democrats uh in giving up on the pfd and in and in trying to deal with the pfd without amending the statute they don't have the votes to amend the statute they've never had the votes to amend the statute <coughs> they've tried I mean, they, they say the statute doesn't matter, right? So the Democrats and, and Burt and others say the statute doesn't matter. But they tried to amend it last year. They tried to amend it to POMV 2575, and they couldn't get the votes to pass it. So they so they admit the statute means something. They admit it has some significance, or else they wouldn't try to amend it. Um, uh, but when when they can't amend it, they just ignore it and 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 hope it goes away. It, Michael, I the the frustration level with with the democrats is high that frustration level is now transferring over to the republicans when you have people like the commissioner of revenue who says don't worry be happy we're all fine there is no deficit don't look behind the curtain don't look in that second account just take the fact that we transferred the credit card balance from one account to another just don't worry about that second account when the Republicans are saying that, the Republican administration, the commissioner of revenue that Dunleavy appointed and the legislature confirmed, when the Republican administration is saying that, you know, maybe it is time to, to you know, to, to think that think that somehow, you know, we're going to we're, we're never going to get out of this situation. Well, Brad, Adam, Adam, Crum, Adam, one more thing. Adam Crumb did say there is a problem. <laughs> 
but the problem he said is out migration yeah it, don't worry about don't don't worry about the budget the, the real problem is people leaving well why do you think people are leaving right well because and of economics and why are the economics bad because we're taking their money we're taxing their money we're taxing middle-income alaska families in excess of six percent um well, now migration is actually good for the state because it means the state, ex, you know, extend expends less money in the long run. So that's actually good for the state in that regard. Um, but I guess the whole thing boils down to <clears throat> Brad. Math is hard. I mean, that's really what <laughs> math is hard. Uh, and it is it shocking that we're seeing more and more uh, politicians and more and more uh, politicos on the Republican side coming with this not really we, we've seen it at the national level as well we're seeing that going on uh as well and it's just monkey see monkey do and more and more states are trying to live beyond their means and and uh you know basically green light or gaslight all the gaslight all the their, their constituencies to say all is fine nothing to see here move al-. it's like the city's on fire he's at a podium giving a press conference and the city's on fire behind him and he's like Pfft. Look, it's all fine. Move along. That's what's going on. Um, and what's, I guess, really disappointing is to see how thoroughly the Dunleavy has given up on his one of his main campaign pillars, which was, you know, the PFD. Um, and he was pretty quiet about it this last go around this last election cycle. But he still was saying he wanted to get a full PFD. And yet we have seen all talk, no action. And uh, this is part of the problem. We got about a minute and a half here. Well, what's 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 even more concerning, or or as concerning as anything else in here, is that Crum isn't even mentioning it. There, there's no mention in the entire article. There was no mention in his speech when I went back and listened to it. There isn't any mention of of the problem with the PFD and how they're how they're going to address it. I mean, Dunleavy at least last spring went out and gave the famous press conference where he says, we're going to have a sales tax in the next few days. So a sales tax bill in the next few days, never did. But at least, you know, at least he acknowledged there was an issue. Crum, commissioner of revenue again, Crum doesn't even mention it. I mean, when he talks about problems that need to be addressed, it's not spending. There, there's not an issue about spending. There's not an issue about, about you know, the, 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 Anything else other than, you know, out migration is not a mention of the PFD. And that's it, it's sort of like ignore it and it will go away. It's it's the Democrats. It's the Democrats playbook that now Adam Crum, at least uh, commissioner of revenue, uh, is adopting uh, for the for the Dunleavy administration. It's frustrating. Um, and of course, I guess that just means that it's politics as usual. If it's frustrating, that must be what it is. It must be politics as usual. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We've got number two coming up here in just a hot second. Number two has to do with Willow and Pika. Of course, we got the decision from Judge Gleason here recently. What does it mean uh, for Alaska? Brad's going to give us the details on that. And we're going to continue The Michael Luke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Brad Keithley, our guest 
Alaskans for sustainable budgets. Um, I mean, I guess at some point, Brad, do we just do we do we just throw in the towel and try and triage this thing? Or I mean, it's it's I just don't know when your allies are the ones that are throwing you under the bus. I don't know your supposed allies. I, I don't know what the answer to this is at this point. Yeah, let's not count Adam Crum as a as an ally. I don't think yeah, Adam Crum is. No. Well, I'm not even sure that Dunleavy is an ally at this point. I mean, Michael, we could, but you know, we address we we had this question come up at the end of last week's show about, you know, it's just time to is is it time to move on from the PFD? And the problem is, if we do that, you're giving free reign to the remaining eight hundred million dollars or so. That's in the PFD. If we just say, forget about the PFD, we're not going to, this is not a hill we're going to die on anymore. Uh, uh, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll ignore the statute along with everybody else. It's just another $800 million of spending. And you, and you build up more constituencies and you build up more, more inertia, more activity so that when we hit the next downturn, whether it happens in the, in the permanent fund earnings reserve, the, the earnings off the permanent fund, or it happens in oil prices, when we hit the next downturn, you will have a higher level of spending uh, that's going on that uh, that then is going to need, you're going to have constituencies build up around that higher level of spending. And then you're going to have people saying, well, we need more and more and more taxes to support that level of spending uh, uh, because we've used up the PFD and building up to that level of spending and we don't have, we don't have other revenues. We don't have another safeguard um, out there. So th this is... To me, this is the point at which you've got to make the stand. If you don't want, you know, if you don't want that additional buildup of additional spending, you don't want that additional plateau that we're going to hit at some point and people are going to scream for more spending. This is the hill you got to stand on and, and, and you've got to fight on. And the other thing, the, the thing I said last week and the thing I truly believe, you've got to get all Alaskans engaged in the fight. The problem with using the PFD is that is that it only affects middle and in, lower income Alaska families? The top twenty percent say we don't care because we're not giving up anything by using the PFD. Spend all you want, uh, just don't tax us and and uh, and and you know continue on using the PFD. So if you don't stand on this hill and say, look, if we're going to spend, all Alaskans plus non-residents plus the oil companies have to share in the burden of that additional spending. If you don't stand on that hill. Uh, there's, there's, you don't have any, you don't have, you know, all Alaskans pushing back on spending. You have some Alaskans pushing for spending and you have other Alaskans, critical Alaskans, the donor class sitting there going, we don't care ambivalent about it. So it's this, this is a hill that's, that, that, you know, at least for me is, is the important hill to stand on the important hill to fight on. And every time that you see somebody like Adam Crum, uh, Commissioner of Revenue, uh, <laughs> uh, taking the same stand as the Democrats on this issue, saying, "Yeah, don't worry about the PFD. Don't even, you know, don't even mention the PFD." Every time you have a Republican doing that, I think it's important to call them out and to and to identify what's going on, which is they're just giving space for more and more and more and more and more and more spending. Um, uh, and creating more and more and more impetus, more and more constituencies behind spending uh, and creating larger problems for the state in the years ahead. 
that's the problem is that, again, we, we keep using the analogy of the bridge is out and you're in the engine car and instead of putting your hand on the brake and, and gently applying it or, or slamming it on, you're just like, here, hold my beer and you keep shoveling coal right into the box. That's exactly what's going on. I mean, we're, we're, we could see what the outcome of this is in future years if you're, if you're honest about it. Uh, I mean, the the OMB has shown it. I mean, all these other things have shown it. And yet they still act like, well, if we just keep pretending like it'll be OK, it'll be OK. Um, and that's I think that's where we're at. We're playing make believe at this point. Um, same thing we're doing at the national level, like it's all going to be OK. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's again, it's monkey see monkey do at that point. Um, all right. Um, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The weekly top three continues with number two, Willow and Pika. That's up next. Like the show and share the show from wherever you're watching it this morning. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. Weekly Top 3 continues with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, we're talking about Willow and Pika. Judge Gleason, the federal judge who is overseeing the case from multiple uh, environmental groups from around the state and outside, trying to shut down the Willow Project, has decided that the Biden administration did the right thing and that Willow's approval was good. It's going to be appealed, I'm sure, but uh, it is a go-ahead for Willow to get started on their winter work. Willow, Willow and Pika could have some big impacts on Alaska, but maybe not as much as we think, Brad. Give us the details here. So Judge Gleason did decide. She said she would decide in November. She did decide in November uh, on the appeals of the Willow of the uh, of the EIS, the Env Environmental Impact Statement that the Department of Interior had issued uh, approving Willow going forward. Uh, she decided on those appeals and decided that uh, that the government had done its job, uh, had thoroughly examined the the, the issues re that need to be examined in an environmental impact statement, and and de declined to reverse or to or to put a hold on uh, the Department of uh, Interior's approval for Willow to go ahead. Uh, it will be appealed to the Ninth Circuit. Um, the, the I think the appeals have already been filed, uh, but Conoco feels confident enough with Judge Gleason's decision, with the with the with the BLM having done the job that did, they did, the Bureau of Lands Management having done the job they did, and with and with uh, uh, Judge Gleason having uh, approved it, uh, confident or Conoco feels confident enough to go ahead uh, and start uh, start the process that they had been putting off. Uh, which is to start the development of the uh, of the Willow Project out west. That's good news. Um, and and Tim Bradner has a good article in the again in the Frontiersman, not a, a pretty good source of uh, information. Um, headline is "Busy Season on North Slope Seen with Decision on Willow," and Tim talks about uh, the Willow decision. Talks about continued development uh, on uh, on Pika. Uh, which is in the central North Slope. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the North Slope map here. 
hands with my hands. So the, that's, that's what anybody wants. Yeah. Talking with your oh. hands on radio is always good. Go <laughs> so you have the Willow decision. Uh, you have Willow proceeding ahead on the Western North slope. You have Pika sort of in the central North slope um, uh, going forward uh, with the development there. And then he also talks about another uh, uh, Armstrong uh, uh, effort now, Armstrong is the is the Armstrong Oil and Gas is the one who initially developed the Pika project, uh, and then sold it once uh, sort of sort of monetized it once uh, once he proved the the concept. Bill Armstrong um, sold it to uh, Santos, what's now Santos and uh, and Repsol, and you have a discussion in in that uh, uh, Bradner article about an activity that uh, uh, Armstrong is can, is engaged in on the eastern North Slope, which is not been historically not over the last few decades not been a hotbed of activity uh but on the eastern north slope um uh in in exploring uh, uh prospects around the eastern north slope and says that uh, apache oil company has has engaged in those as well and that that's another good sign and alaska benefits from all those activities not only in the sense of additional oil but Alaska oil and gas jobs really come from construction. They really come from the development of new fields and the activity around the development of new fields. So you have you have that going on now in Willow. You have that going on in Pika, and you have the beginnings of a project uh, maybe uh, over in the eastern North Slope. North Slope. All of that's good. All of that's good for uh, the oil companies. All of that's good for future production. All of that's good for the contractors. There are two. There are two things that that need to temper. Um, you know, throwing, you know, have, throw, popping the champagne and having the party, though. One is because of the way the oil taxes are structured. Uh, one is Willow's actually going to result in less revenues for the state for a period of time. The reason for that is that that we have a net profits tax, uh, our production taxes and net profits tax, and construction costs are a deduction, essentially a deduction from uh, from profits uh, in calculating net profits and calculating the, the amount subject to tax. And and Willow is not going to add any, any, for a period of time, Willow won't add any production, won't add any revenues um, uh, for from production to the state, but it will increase costs because there will be a lot of construction activity and a lot of construction expense. So actually, in the near term, Willow and Pika uh, uh, will be the same, and and potentially Armstrong's activities uh, on the eastern North Slope. Um, I'm not quite sure where else Armstrong is, but potentially the activities on the eastern North Slope will result in a reduction in revenues as those as those construction expenses expenses uh, come through and act as a as a deduction in tax. That's one thing to sort of temper all the temper the temper the champagne popping the second is something that we've been noticing um as we do what we call the thursday chart alaskans for sustainable budgets thursday chart which looks at current production from the north slope compared to uh, where it should be compared to what the state's forecast was and this year has been running considerably below um uh, what the projections that the state included uh, in the spring revenue forecast. Right now, as of the last Thursday chart, um, we are uh, 9%, 10% uh, below the forecast amount um, uh, for, the, for the state. And that, that assumes, that 9% assumes that 
somehow we, you know, we pop back up to, to where we should be for the remainder of the year. Uh, it, it, the trend is to run below throughout the, uh, throughout the year significantly. 10% is a significant number in terms of oil production forecast. So 10% below, significantly below uh, the, the, the projection that the Dunleavy administration made uh, back in the spring. That means if that's if that's true and that reflects if that continues and that reflects what's going on in sort of the base north slope, north slope, if you will, that means that we're having a reduction in in production from from the base north slope faster, a decline faster uh, than we anticipated it was going to occur. So while Willow and Pika uh, will help offset that, will help you know. Uh, we'll we'll bring additional rep. We'll bring bring additional volumes on, and help to offset that decline. It's going to be it's going to be starting from a lower base than than I think some anticipated when they put together the last uh, the last production forecast. And so there will be an increase as a result of bringing those those fields on stream, but the increase in overall production won't be as much because the base is declining. And that's that's worrisome. If we're having a if we're having decline rates faster than we anticipated, with respect to the base volumes, that's um, that's concerning because the the future, the future you know somewhat rosy projections about oil forecasts have been have been calculated assuming, you know Willow comes on at, at gangbuster volumes, Pika comes on at gangbuster volumes, and the base holds up. If the base is sort of declining faster than we anticipate. That sort of third leg of the stool that that leads to leads to a much better uh, future in terms of oil oil production um, won't <laughs> it won't be as good it won't be as good so great news about Willow great news uh, that uh, that has been approved great news that's going forward but don't expect a revenue pop in fact expect a revenue decline uh, for a significant period of time. Another piece of the oil taxes are that there isn't any tax on new production for a period of time. So not only do we have a revenue decline for a period of time as the construction costs come through and act as discussion as as, as deductions from 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 revenues from profits, uh, there's also a period of time after that that there won't be taxes produced. Construction period will be over. We won't have the we won't have the deductions. But we won't have a revenue pop because there's a period of time that revenues won't be produced uh, from new volume. So the revenue benefit of Willow is several years out, maybe 10 years out. Uh, the revenue benefit from Pika is several years out. Um, and, and it's great to have these additional volumes, but don't expect a revenue pop um, as a result of these additional volumes going, coming on. It's one, it's one of these things about the oil industry that's sort of sort of interesting. Um, the private sector benefits because we have all this construction and all these jobs and all this activity. The state doesn't benefit at all. In fact, the state the state sort of subsidizes it through having through allowing all those costs to be deductions from uh, from from taxes. So it's um we, we're gonna see a lot of news about oh the oil industry is doing better. There's all these jobs, all these people are working, all this activity, but we're gonna see a state revenue decline. Uh, as uh, as that goes on. Well, and of course, as the time goes on, and as you said, these projects are, you know, seven years, 10 years from really starting to put money back in the bank. We, of course, have a continual decline in the meanwhile. So by the time it hits, and even if it is 180,000 barrels a day that they're talking about overall from these fields, 
how much is the decline going to hit between now and then? Are we going to be back to where we just are right now or maybe a little more? Uh, and that's a and that's a challenge, especially again as you look at the especially when they continue to make mistakes in the uh, revenue projections on this kind of stuff, which is historically they're never accurate. They're never they're I mean it's a you know it's pie in the sky at that point. Well, they're never going to be accurate because you can't you can't predict with absolute precision where the, sure. where the production is going to be. But you know this ten percent is forty five forty five thousand uh, barrels a day. Um, 45,000 barrels a day on a, on a production base of, you know, 450,000 barrels a day is quite a bit. Um, and it's, um, uh, and, and, and it's fully, it's fully tax paying 45,000 barrels a day, uh, as compared to, you know, compared to 45,000 days from, from Willow, which is, which won't be tax paying for a period of time. So you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it, it is not only do we have the hit coming from the Willow construction costs and the Pika construction costs taking tax, uh, acting as deductions and taking tax revenues down, not only do we have a period of time that there won't be tax because we don't tax uh, new production, but during that, during that period, as the base declines faster, as it appears that the base is declining faster than we anticipated, we will be losing revenues from from that as well. So, projections, the revenue projection. Going back to Adam Crumb's point, revenue projections aren't great. I mean, they're 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 not they're not terrific, not not robust, if you will. The the dollars Over, overly are, rosy, overly rosy is what you're saying. They're not. It doesn't look great. Uh, it's just like you know, at, at about the time the taxes hit, says Bill, that's when production numbers drop significantly. I mean, that's. Again, if we're just offsetting and swapping one for the other, what what do we need to, you know, it's <clears throat> it's painful. It's painful to see. All right, Brad, give me a tease on number, that's number two. Give me a tease on number three, um, which, of course, has to do with uh, federal funding opportunities. So there's a, there's a whole new excitement level going on in the state, particularly in the electric industry, about the federal government's going to fund uh, transmission, uh, new trans building, new transmission and transmission, electric transmission in this state's a problem. We've got like one line, we've got like one extension cord that runs all the way from Homer up to Fairbanks. And we're all dependent on that one extension cord. We're all taking, you know, volume or electricity off that one extension cord. And, and there's federal funds available to bolster that up, but the federal funds of course come with a string and, uh, and the string is significant and, uh, is going to have a, an impact on, on our fiscal situation uh, that uh, that we're going to discuss in the in the next segment. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. We're going to continue in just a moment. Uh, the weekly top three. You could find you could find Brad at ak4sb.com. That's the word for ak4sb.com, or you could find him on Facebook and Twitter. Or I'm sure he'd love to argue with you about oil taxes and other things. Uh, feel free to go out there and harass him. Back with more. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. 
And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, Brian, Brian said, he kind of he kind of uh, is paraphrasing what you and I have been talking about for a long time. Brian says it's not a question of if we get an income tax, but when. The ledger critters have shown blessed little courage to do the fiscally responsible, sane, or adult things as they draw their salaries. And um, I mean, I think that's it. I think a lot of this is somehow we know better than you. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Fine, fine, just fine. I mean, that's, it's, wow. Well, Michael, I want to make the point that we already have an income, we already have a tax, we already have an income tax. It's an income tax that's targeted on permanent fund uh, dividends. It, what, what we're really, what we're going to be facing is not only that tax, but an expanded tax that's going to attach to other income uh, as well. We're already there. Um, and I guess my, my point in the last, in the last, uh, segment or the last break was this is the hill to stand on. This is the hill to die on because we're already there. We're, we're already being taxed. Now the tax is focused on middle and lower income Alaska families. Um, it's a heavy tax on middle and lower income Alaska families. As I said, the, the FY24 budget essentially is a 6% overall, 6% overall income tax on middle income Alaska families. The middle 60% lower, the average for the lower middle, 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 and, and upper middle, if you look at this in quintiles. Um, uh, the average tax on middle-income Alaska families is 6%. We're already there. What we're looking at is taxes is taxes beyond that, continuing taxes continuing to build beyond that. So if we don't fight the battle now, if we let them have the $800 million, let the government have the $800 million that's remain, $800 plus million that's remaining in the PFD, um, without, without a battle, if we just say, oh, forget that, you know, you can have it. We'll, we'll agree that the statute doesn't mean anything, notwithstanding the fact you can't get the votes to change it. We'll agree the statute doesn't mean anything. You can have that $800 million. Then that, that just increases the tax, uh, the existing tax exponentially and sets up the next layer of tax that, that, that comes on, comes on top of it. So the time to be fighting the battle is now. Um, and, and the, and, and what you want in this battle is to expand the forces that are pushing back. You want to lower the burden, uh, as it exists on middle and lower income Alaska families and expand the, expand the, the burden across, across more people so that more people are pushing back, um, on, on spending levels. That's, that's, that's the, it's the entire point about, uh, uh, that we've been trying to make over the, over the period of time about going to a flat tax. It's not, it's not that it's not that we're adding on a tax we're substituting a broader based more inclusive tax for the for the tax that's hitting now and of course the argument has just popped up that a PFD cut is not a true tax I mean I you know we can argue about it, it has the effect of a tax whether you call it a tax or a, a, a service fee or I mean whatever you call it it has the effect of it it takes away that percentile of income from people who would otherwise receive it. Um, and that, of course, you know, again, assuming that it is their money, which I think most of us agree with. I know Randy doesn't, but most of us agree with. Well, look, I mean, Matt Berman, uh, uh, ICER professor, uh, Harvard trained, Yale trained, 
uh, uh, ICER professor, been in the state since 81, since, since the time the PFD was adopted, the longest serving uh, ICER, uh, ICER analyst there is, Matt DeBerman in last year's in op-ed, in, in a op-ed, or yes, was earlier this year uh, in the AD, ADN, said, let's be honest, the PFD, PFD cuts are a tax, the most regressive tax ever, ever proposed. I mean, we can argue this. I mean, you, you can have people, you know, write comments. That, but look, we got a Harvard, Yale trained P, uh, uh, PhD economist who's saying it's a tax. I'm not going. I'm not going to argue, yeah. Berman. No. So I mean, no matter what you call it, the effect is the same. I mean, that's. I guess my whole point. My whole point was, the the effect is the same, whether you call it a tax or not. The effect is it takes that percentile of income out of people's hands and it's disproportionately affecting the lower, you know, the lower 80 percentile um, uh, comparatively and allowing this runaway spending to continue. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, legislators with the with the pay raise, all the legislators, all every last one of the legislators have now moved into the top 20 percent, all of them. And, and so, you know, even the youngest, even the most inexperienced moved into the top 20% as a result of the legislative pay raise, uh, adding in the per diem. So, you know, I, we got taxation without representation. I mean, we got all of them in the top 20% voting to tax the remaining 80%. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a sad situation that we've fallen into. So, I, you as you say, the economic effect is the same. Yeah. Uh, confiscatory. Confiscatory. Uh, call it confiscatory if it helps, says uh, Donna. Confiscating private property. I mean, yeah, whatever you want to call it, the effect essentially in the end is exactly the same. Potato, potato, it still makes great hash browns. All right, let's uh, let's uh, go on here. Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right. Continuing now, the final segment of the weekly top three, number three of the weekly top three. The feds want to give out some money. Oh, but there's always a hook somewhere in there. That looks like bait. Look at that juicy chunk of chum out there. Let's just snap on that. Oh, wait, there's a hook in it. Uh, That's the problem. And that's what a lot of people don't look at. Uh, I've seen it when I worked in the borough government. Same kind of thing. Oh, it's free money. Well, no, it's first of all, it's not free. Somebody paid for it. Second of all, what do we have to pay to get it? Brad, um, what's uh, what's the details here? All right. So James Brooks has an article um, uh, that's been it's in the Alaska Beacon, but it's been run in most of the major papers. Headline is, at least the ADN headline is, huge new federal, huge, huge new federal grant promises easier access for cheaper, cleaner power in the Alaska Rail Belt. And what's this, what, what it's talking about is a federal grant that uh, the Alaska Energy Authority, which is a, a subsidiary of ADA, uh, uh, has, has been able to get from the federal government to help bolster up uh, the state's uh, transmission line. Alaska uh, is, as I said, sort of strung together with one transmission line that runs from Homer 
uh, all the way up to Fairbanks. It has various roots and branches, but but that's sort of the basic concept. It has limit. It's old enough, and it's and it's limited enough that it has a, a limited capacity to, for example, to add new sources of supply, as as these new solar fields or the new wind farms come uh, come into existence. It's it's not altogether easy to add them to the existing system because of limitations that that exist uh, in the in the transmission line. So the the, the uh, upgrading the transmission line, essentially replacing the transmission line uh, over time, has been a has been a goal of the electric utilities uh, for as long as as I've followed the electric electric utilities back into the 1990s. It's something that they've, that, the, that they've identified they need to do. So up pops this federal grant as part of the it's part of the Biden uh, uh, Infrastructure Act up pops the availability of this federal grant uh, to uh, to help or to help fund replacement of the transmission line um, and and the federal grants for two hundred and six million dollars. I think it is a significant chunk uh, toward the cost of the transmission line. But here's the kicker. <laughs> the federal grant is only is contingent on is only for half of the cost of the upgrade and is contingent on the state matching that grant dollar for dollar. So to get the $206 million, the federal money to go toward the transmission line, uh, the state has to come up with a, with a matching amount. It can't, it can't say, oh, we'll give, we'll give a little bit. It has to come up with, with an equal amount uh, to meet the criteria of the grant. Um, and so, and so we're faced with, Okay, we got this two hundred six million dollars. We got half the cost of the upgrade to the transmission line that everybody's been, been, uh, been pleading for, been building toward, been talking about all these years. We got half the cost. The state has to come up with the other the other half the cost, and and the electric people say, but it's only half the other cost. I mean, we're getting two we're getting half of it out of the federal government, so we only have to come up with the with the other half instead of all of it, as we've talked about before. But the state has to come up with that extra amount. Here's the issue that that I'm going to focus on, that I want to focus on here, and, I, and I'm going to continue to focus on as we discuss about it. Discuss it. Who pays for that $200 million on on the state side? The beneficiaries are going to be um, uh, the people in the rail belt who get added added benefits, added security as a result of upgrades to the transmission line. The beneficiaries are going to include the wind the wind farm. Uh, producers who are going to get access to the grid that they've had difficulty getting access to over time. The beneficiaries are going to be um, the, the people in the rail belt who get lower, who have lower energy costs, lower electricity costs than they otherwise might uh, have uh, if uh, if these upgrades weren't done and the limitations of the existing electric transmission system continued to uh, continue to exist. We can identify who the beneficiaries are. But what's going on is, is of course, and and the beneficiaries you can you you can, you can not only identify them, there are ways to assess the cost to them. You can increase the cost of, of electric energy to uh, to people in the rail belt for those additional costs. You can in, you can you can charge access fees to the wind farms for access uh, to the grid uh, that reflect uh, the recovery of those additional costs that. That they're going to benefit from. You can you you there are mechanisms to charge those costs to those who benefit. But the press now is on the state 
funding uh, that additional $200 million. How's, and the questions in this article and elsewhere are, how's the state going to come up with this $200 million that it needs to come up with to match the, to match the federal grant in order to, uh, to fund these, uh, to fund, fund these improvements. Um, and, and, you know, the answer is, well, we'll just add it to the capital budget. All right. So where's the money going to come from to fund that increment in the capital budget? And the way we're set up right now, we all know the answer to that. Although, you know, Adam Crumb might not, but we all know the answer to that, which is additional PFD cuts. So right now we're set up to fund this additional $200 million on the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families throughout the state to fund these improvements that are going to benefit people in the rail belt and, and wind farm and other producers who are going to get access to the grid. Uh, uh, in in the rail belt, we we this state is not very good at matching costs to those who create the costs uh, or who benefit uh, from from the costs, um, and and so we're we're going down this road. This is how we get into this in these budget situations. We're going down this road again, where the answer is, oh, we'll just have the state fund it, uh, fund this additional two hundred million dollars, and we'll just. Uh, We'll just uh, include it as part of the UGF spending, and we'll just, uh, you know, we'll just fund it out of uh, out of additional PFD cuts. Can't afford to pay, pay the PFD, notwithstanding the statutes there um, uh, that tells us how to do it. Can't afford to fund the PFD because you know we got all these we got all these additional costs. It it I hate these headlines that say big big project for the state, big bonus for the state, big plus for the state. And don't have a subheadline that say, "Oh, by the way, and you got to pay for it," and 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 we're and and we need to address who pays for it uh, uh, as part of the process. This article sort of does that in a way by saying uh, the state has to come up to match it dollar for dollar, but James doesn't dive down into who uh, would bear the burden right. of that uh, of that dollar for dollar matching. Right, because the headline reads, huge new federal grant promises easier access for cheaper, cleaner power in Alaska's rail belt. And it should have a sub-headline that says, oh, by the way, the state has to pay, you know, you all the other citizens of the state have to pay for it as well, even though they won't benefit. So the people in Kodiak or Unalaska or any place else that's listening to this uh, that's not on the rail belt power system, the, you know, they're on the hook for it just as well. Yeah, exactly right. And it's not it's not just that they're on the hook for it. The, the, the way we're funding these things now through PFD cuts, it's it's that the that middle and lower income Alaska families. It's not, you know, sometimes people argue, oh, PFD cuts are justified because after all, you know, it's the it's lower families that get all the benefits, uh, get all these benefits out of the out of out of government anyway. It's not true. Uh, there's no study that shows that. Uh, and you can you, when people cherry pick and you know pick certain things that that say, oh, this is this is how government, you know, disproportionately funds lower income families. You can you can you can tear those things apart. Uh, but, you know, th there's no argument, no argument here that you possibly can make that that this two hundred million dollars to match the federal grant uh, for the transmission line is something that is peculiar, a peculiar benefit that ought to be right. charged to middle and lower income Alaska families statewide. Right. Well, I can see the argument, though, already, though. Well, that's what the power cost equalization fund is for. All right. I mean, isn't that what we're told that to offset all the expenditures and the investments that we've made in the rail belt and all those, I mean, all the dollars that they've gotten, that's why we put the power cost equalization fund in there so that they get there. So the rural and other communities get their fair share as well. I mean, I, I could see that argument already. 
Yeah, well, the the power cost equalization does something with respect to elsewhere in the state, but it's sort of it's sort of built up over time, and I'm not sure it's going to adjust a lot for the benefits of this additional 200 million, and in particular, uh, power cost equalization uh, isn't isn't focused on middle and lower income families. It's focused on everybody in a region. So right. I'm not, not quite sure that one that one that one holds water. Uh, last 30 seconds, Brad, I'll let you take it here. Michael, we got a problem in the state and, and, and the problem's expanding. I mean, the problem is last week we talked about the problem with the Democrats. This week it's Adam Crum uh, and the Republicans. They don't recognize fiscal reality. They, they want to they create this new la-la land where everything's okay. It's not. And we need to keep identifying, we need to keep pushing back and saying it's not, and we need to, This is. these are ways we need to, to do to, to get it better. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend, for coming in on this Tuesday for the Weekly Top 3. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks so Michael much. Zoy. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Uh, hour 2 is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. I mean, since when is the since when is the federal government uh, ever done you know anything efficiently? Uh, I mean, even Harold acknowledges that the feds granted forty million to bring broadband to five hundred folks in Newixit, but hey, Starlink is only ninety bucks a month. Why are we bullying out all this broadband and hardwired stuff for forty million dollars for five hundred people when we could just send every one of them a Starlink and call it good? You know, I mean that it. Uh, he's not wrong. This is, again, just another example of, uh, you know, how the government's here to help us in the most inefficient way possible, uh, which seems to be a, a common thread um, around it. And that $40 million is a drop in the bucket compared to all the broadband projects around the state. Why are they? Why, I mean, which, again, goes back to the corporate cronyism we've talked about in the past. Right, Brad? Because companies like GCI are all like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll take that billion dollars and spend. We'll. Don't worry about it. We've got it covered, you know, um, That's right. instead of looking for a better solution, like, for example, Starlink. Among some of my friends, we refer to the G the the broadband bill as the GCI bailout bill. I mean, the, the, the way to get the way to get GCI more money. You got to you got to follow the dollars on this stuff to figure out, figure out who's benefiting. It's like Medicaid. I mean, the, the, the discussions we've had over time about Medicaid, people say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's really. It's really, you know, lower income families that benefit from Medicaid. That's one of the arguments about how lower income families really, you know, disproportionately benefit from government spending. And so, and so it's justified that the PFD cuts uh, uh, target them. Well, Medicaid, if you follow the dollars, the Medicaid dollars actually end up in the bank accounts of the, of the health care providers. Uh, the docs in a surprising number of whom are out of state uh, docs uh, who come in and, and do their practice here and then leave. Um, uh, it, it, the Medicaid, the Medicaid dollars end up on behalf of the docs at the federal level. We talk a lot about, you know, about the farm bill and the farm bill or snap. We talk a lot about snap, uh, SNAP which is, is part of the farm bill. Right. Yeah. Right. Supplemental nutritional assistance, food stamps, whatever they are, food stamps. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, food stamps and how food stamps disproportionately benefit the poor. Well, the, <laughs> the biggest proponents of snap, the biggest proponents of food stamps, stamps is the agricultural lobby because because those purchases help support uh farm prices and and you know when republicans start talking about you know reductions in snap reductions in in dollars going to food stamps it's the it's the 
it's the farm state Republicans who, who get up in arms and who, who block that sort of, that sort of, uh, that sort of, of action. You got to follow the dollars on this stuff. And, 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 and to some extent, you got to try to match cost responsibility with cost causation. If you don't do that, um, then, you know, it, like we have in Alaska, if you don't charge those who cause the costs with, with the costs, if they don't pay the costs, then they're all in favor of adding more and more and more and more spending because they don't have to pay for it. And the people who get burdened with paying for it uh, don't necessarily benefit from it or don't necessarily benefit, aren't, aren't the only beneficiaries of it, but they get more and more and more of the burden. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how see how this $200 million for, uh, for the, the state's share of the, of the transmission line uh, plays out. I, uh, to me, a large part of it needs to be charged in the rail belt to the electric uh, users uh, and to the electric providers, the wind farms and others, who are going to benefit from this upgrade to the transmission line. Those are the cost causers or the cost beneficiaries, um, and they ought to be the ones that, that bear a, board, uh, a share of it. They're going to profit from having this upgraded transmission line uh, available. They need to share in the costs of that. But doing it, doing it the way that people are now talking about doing it, just through the capital budget and just you know, it'll pop out of additional pop out from additional PFD cuts. That doesn't match cost causation to cost responsibility in any way, shape, or form. And it's gonna it's gonna lead to it just leads to like everything else more and more spending, creating more and more constituencies in favor of spending uh, who don't have to pay for it. And so, yeah, I'm in favor of it because I don't have to pay for it. Shit. Yeah, go, go ahead. Um, not, we, we don't, we don't, we just don't, we don't do things right in this state in terms of, in terms of fiscal policy. Well, it's because we're living in a delusional, it's a delusional reality, right? I mean, and I, I keep going back to it. I know I don't cover a lot of national stuff on the show, but um, even I have been watching what's going on with the new Speaker of the House and, you know, the the whole shutdown that we averted, right? Oh, we averted it. Yeah, we moved it to a week from today. I mean, that's essentially what happened. We moved it one month and now we're in crisis mode again and they're all running around like we don't know what's going on. And nobody is willing to address the problem that by 20, <clears throat> by 2035, you know, Social Security and Medicaid, uh, Medicare, they're out of money. You know, by 2050, we're at 240 percent of GDP and we're beyond we can't reverse the flow at that point. It's the we've gone beyond where we can reverse it. Um, it's going to create not just a, a default of what we have today, but a real default where they don't just delay the payments. They just don't make the payments. And that will I mean, it's a catastrophic effect. And and everybody's screaming about it. Every even the uh, even the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the office of uh, a budget and audit or, you know, I mean, all the they're even they're even saying, whoa, 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 our projections are and they are mandated by law to take some unrealistic assumptions in their uh, in their factors. And even they are saying it's not. But no, but everybody's like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I, we're literally living in delusional times. Less than a minute. Well, and we've created all these constituencies, right? The farm bill is a perfect example. One of the places the Republicans off the top of their head say we're going to cut is SNAP. But then the but then the farm state Republicans say, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't cut SNAP. And and you can't cut the farm. You can't cut, you know, 
supplemental nutritional assistance because that's going to affect uh, agriculture prices. So er everybody's got their own constituency they're looking out for. Nobody's looking out for the overall. Nobody's trying right. to the long term. Nobody's thinking long term. It's always the next election. It's always a. All right, Brad, we're out of time. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we are out of time. The Michael Duke Show continues. Hour two is dead ahead. Let's get this thing done, shall we? Here we go. Uh, jumping right into it right now. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Welcome to hour two of the big radio show. We'll be uh, just finished up. We just finished up with Brad Keithley, uh, Alaska's, uh, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He came in and gave us the weekly top three. He gave us the bad news. And now we are... Uh, Going to be, you know, recapping some of that and talking a little bit about it in our uh, in segment three of our two today of uh, this show. We'll be talking with Chris Story, uh, who will be joining us to talk about, uh, well, backyard booty is what he said to me earlier this week. And again, I, I don't know if that's, a you know, like some gentleman's club or if it's, you know, something better, but we're going to talk about it. And we're going to see what uh, we're going to see what he has to say to try and bring us up and build us up, Buttercup. That's uh, that's what we're looking for. We just finished up with Brad, and um, I mean, I guess I've got a little bit of a, I guess I've got something to say on this, and it was just something that we were finishing up with Brad on, and it is the, in my mind, it is the delusion of elected officials. Um, we often talk about the politician's disease on this, on this program, right? We have that phrase, the politician's disease, which is essentially that somehow, some way they know better than us how to do X, whatever X is. It could be spend your money. It could be raise your children. It could be, you know, plan your life. Uh, it could be all these other things. I mean, they continually tell you from one side of the equation to the other how they just know better than you if you if you poor poor pitiful children if you only understood what was you know we 
just let the adults talk in the room kind of thing, right? I mean, this we've seen this happen. We've seen hours of public testimony be poured into a certain subject, and then legislators stand up and say, well, you know, we appreciate all your testimony, but we understand this better than you do, and so you just don't understand it. We're going to do, you know, we're just going to go against everything that you guys just talked about for the last three hours, and we're going to do it anyway because we um, – <laughs> Because we, uh, you know, know better. And I think that's part and parcel of a larger delusion. Uh, The delusion that many of them have thought that just somehow because they were elected, somehow because they've attained positions of power, that they can... um, uh, again, not only do they know better than you, but that they can somehow avoid the consequences of normal actions. Now, we're seeing this more at a national level uh, right now. Um, and, you know, we, we've been talking about it. Again, we don't do a lot of national issues on this show. But, I mean, even I am aware of what's going on with the, uh, with the, new, the new Speaker of the House who is uh, who's watching all these things and and seeing all this happen and now overseeing the latest um, uh, the latest moves on a government shutdown, right? I mean, we just avoided the government shutdown. The government shutdown actually triggered a failure of leadership and um, um, and and you know, oh, put it off. but it only put it off for essentially 30 days, 45 days. Because the shutdown is now going to occur in another eight, nine, ten days. That's it. I mean, we're we're out of time again. We're up against the wall again. And the problem is, instead of dealing with the issue and getting things figured out, then um, we're we're just continually kicking the can down the road, acting as if the laws of arithmetic and mathematics just do not apply to us. Uh, maybe it's a too big to fail situation. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that's what it is. They just think that, well, we can't possibly fail because we're the United States of America. We can't possibly fail. And I know I'm going back to this national stuff, but it's because, again, we see a whole lot of the idea of monkey see, monkey do. Uh, what the legislators are doing at the national level, those at the uh, uh, state levels are doing as well. I mean, how many states right now? Um, how many states right now are, you know, running on the razor's edge or running complete and total deficits? How many states now are living beyond their means, financing their debt, um, spending, you know, spending out of whatever savings that they may have, uh, robbing Peter, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul uh, and doing all these other things, but refusing to acknowledge that what they are what what they are basically facing is a spending problem. I mean, we have the same problem at the national level that we do at the local level. We have a spending problem. We have created programs and entitlements and uh, all these uh, things that people have just become accustomed to, and we couldn't possibly couldn't possibly change any of that because somebody is going to get hurt. Well, I mean, this is really, this is a case of triage, right? That's where we're at right now is we're facing a case of triage. Either the patient is going to get sick from the cure or the patient is going to die from the disease. 
which would you rather have? And what's been going on in politics and, and around states across the country is essentially they've all been saying, well, we just we don't want to get sick. We don't want to get sick from the cure. So and but the disease, that's never going to happen. That's I mean, it's just never going to happen. We're not, you know, not like it's happened to any other nation state, not like it's ever happened in history to any other uh, governmental entity. Um, but somehow we will avoid it. We don't know how. We don't know why. We don't know, you know, what's going to happen. But we're, you know, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dodge that bullet. And unfortunately, this is the same thing that we're facing here in the state of Alaska. Is that we have people that continually go on and on and on about how we're going to be fine that we need all these programs, that we've got to spend it, that we've got to, you know, spend more money on education, that we've got to change the, we've got to change the, uh, you know, the retirement system um, to make sure that, boy, everybody, you know, that all these people get theirs. And, and in some cases, I'm sure it's a, it's a matter of making sure that people get theirs before the, before the bucket runs dry. And in other cases, I'm sure it's people just believe that, oh, we couldn't possibly fail. Look at all we have. Look at all the resources. Look at everything we've got going on. There couldn't possibly be, not be money in there. It's like, giving a, it's like giving a checkbook to a teenager and saying just, you know, I can't be out of money. I've still got checks left. And unfortunately, that's, that's the situation that we found ourselves in, you know, in the state of Alaska and across the country. Nationally, it's the same problem that we have. Eventually, that gravy train is going to stop. Eventually, it's going to come to a grinding halt. Now, uh, J.D. Tuchilli from Reason Magazine wrote an excellent article on this uh, yesterday, um, which uh, talked specifically about the latest reporting uh, from the um, um, from. Um, the uh, Office of uh, Management and Budget. No, the, I'm sorry, it wasn't that. It was a, here we go. I'm sorry, I just, I just pulled it up. This is an article that he wrote uh, about uh, seven, eight days ago. And he's talking about a brand new model that has come out from the University of Pennsylvania's Penn Wharton budget model, which says that the federal government has no more than 20 years so 20 years or less to mend its ways, after which time it will be too late to remedy the situation. It's that go, no-go point, right? That if you don't get it fixed in the next 20 years or less, depending on what's going on in the markets and what's going on with the confidence of the, of the dollar and treasury bonds and everything else, that we are going to be in a serious, serious hurt. And that's, you know... This is this used to be the con the Congressional Budget Office, which is a uh, it's an arm of, you know, it's an arm of the government. Um, it's bound by law to make certain unrealistic assumptions that the federal government will be constrained in its financial conduct, which is completely antithetical to what their their patterns have been in the last 50 years. Even they said that by 2053, the debt held by the public or public entities or other people or the government debt being held outside of the government 
will reach 181% of GDP by 2053. So 30 years from now. Even they are saying that this is, you know, even with their rosy predictions and things that they're allowed by law to, that they are restricted by law to, to basically put in their reporting, even they are saying this is a problem. And nobody is listening. Not Republicans, not Democrats. You got maybe a handful of people out of the 500 plus legislators at the national level that are actually even talking about these things. And the rest of them just keep getting reelected and they keep going back and people are just not paying attention to what's happening. Things that if we did it in our own personal life, that if we did it on our own personal finances, or if we did it in our business finances, I mean, our personal finances, we'd just go bankrupt, right? I mean, that would just, but if you were in business and you were doing this stuff, you'd go to jail. You'd go to jail for fraud for some of the things that you're planning on, the money moving and the things that they're doing right now. And the states are doing it at a, at a same kind of, I mean, California is what, their budget deficit, and I know Donna's in the chat room and she'll correct me on the latest numbers, but the last budget deficit number that I remember coming out of California was something like $60 billion. $60 billion with a B. Deficit. That means money that they are spending that they don't have a revenue source for. We're facing the same thing here in the state of Alaska. Oh, don't worry. The budget's balanced. We've got a surplus. We've got all this. And only if you start if you start ignoring state law and state statute and don't pay the full PFD, and then you ignore it and you've taken that money from the people, you've damaged the economy, you're bolstering the public economy over the private economy. I mean, I could just keep going on and on and on. But we're living in a state of delusion that somehow, some way, we can't be touched by the reality of arithmetic. We can't be affected by that. That somehow, because of our clean living, our good looks, our smarmy personality, whatever it is, that somehow we can avoid the penalties of our actions. And unfortunately, though, I mean, you know, will it be a great day one day when I can look back and say, I told you so? Sure, that'll be great. The problem is, is that, of course, my kids and my grandkids and, you know, my future family will have to pay the price for all that. I mean, it'll feel great in the moment when I said, I told you so, but it won't help when we have, you know, hyperinflation and the economy is in the crapper and everything else. None of that. I will not feel good about any of that, especially knowing that we could have. Uh, that we could have fixed this, that we could have stopped it. We could have slowed it down. It's, it's, um, it's, it's just, it's astonishing to watch all that's going on right now. It's not going to end up, it's not going to end up well. That's all I could say. If we continue down this road and don't put the brakes to it, is it's not going to go well. For any of us in this country, let I mean Alaska for sure, but anywhere else, it's it's going to be tough. 
All right, we're uh, up against the break. And I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines. If you'd like to sound off this morning about anything that Brad or I talked about, now's the time to do it. 907-433-3150. Powered by our friends over there at Satellite West. You could find them at SatelliteWest.com. We're going to find out what you have to say on the other side. Feel free to queue up and get ready to go. We'll be back with more right after this on The Michael Duke Show. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, let me get caught up with what you guys have been talking about here in this morning. (laughs) Grandy says the legislature does not ignore the statute. They modify the payout on a yearly basis by appropriating less. They must repeat this mod. You know, that's the thing, Randy. Just change the statute. They, they are ignoring the statute. That's exactly what they're doing. Um, I'm going back up here to see what you guys are talking about. Uh, private sector, blah, 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 blah. The government doesn't know how to do that. Construction workers do. Tourists buying magnets and t-shirts will not pay for much. Tourists generally do not generate, uh, do generally do not purchase high-end items. Um, let's not forget, says Brian, that the free money comes with strings, such as the state has to continue to fund the program, the free money created in the first place. It's like free math or free internet. I mean, that's exactly it. First taste is free. Now you got to pay for it moving on. That's what we, that's part of the problem. Um, um, so in effect, the feds are pushing the free stuff addiction down to the state level and the states in true government fashion pass it on to the communities. I mean, I saw that 10, 12 years ago when I was in the, on the borough assembly. I mean, I literally had the chief of staff of the mayor come up to me and say, why are you opposing this? This is free money. Well, first of all, you haven't shown me that there's a demand for it. You want to build it just simply because the federal government offered to give you the money for it. There's no demand in the community for it. Nobody else is doing it. And it's not free money. Somebody paid for it. Um, I'm going through this, for example. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, zero mill rate. Inflation is going down. Um, on top of those, Alaska taxables. Uh, post office. Okay. Um, all right. That's it. I got caught up. You guys were severely random in the last, uh, 20 minutes 
with all your stickers are severely random talking about different things here, which you could talk about here if you want to call in. If anybody, uh, Barbara, I saw you talked about a sales tax being the ultimate thing. And then somebody said, well, the tourist, if, as long as it's seasonal. And then the people said, well, tourists don't buy enough. And then you talk about this uh, taxables report that talks about bed tax revenue and everything else. If you want to talk about that and tell us, as you know, and explain that to us, that'd be great. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that. Um, I'm going over here. Seeing if there's any other uh, any other stories that I missed. Okay. Doesn't look like it. Looks like I got all the stories that are fit to print. All the stories that are fit to print. In the th- this story on blackface, the California middle schooler who got called out because he was wearing war paint for the sports things. Uh, and Barbara's not calling the regular number like she's supposed to. She's calling a completely different number. Let me see if I can connect it to my... Uh, let me see if I can connect it to the system here and get uh, get Barbara on. Uh, let's see if we can get this. Can you hear me, Barbara? Hello? Uh, no, I can't see. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call Barbara back apparently because I can't. Uh, uh, I'm gonna see if we can see if we can do this since Barbara's trying to call me and explain it to me in uh, in no uncertain terms. Let's see if we can get. See if we can get her on the phone. Good morning. Good morning, Barbara. You wanted to talk about this, I'm assuming, so I will put you on hold here. Don't go anywhere. We're 10 seconds out. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, follow, subscribe, do all the things. Chris Story's coming up in the last segment of the show. Phone call's up next. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, Enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Pain in the something. I don't know what. We'll figure it out here in a little bit. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Phone lines are open right now at 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. During the commercial break, I went back and was looking at the comments, and Barbara Haney, who uh, is a borough assemblywoman in Fairbanks, uh, made a comment about how a sales tax, a seasonal sales tax, is the cheapest to administer and gets enough revenue. Somebody else argued back that tour, especially if it's seasonal, and somebody in the chat room argued back that tourists don't buy enough. Anyway, I invited anybody to call in and talk more about that if they want to discuss it. So Barbara Haney joins me right now uh, on the program. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people don't realize that there's, um, a whole publication called Alaska Taxables, and it's published by the Department of Commerce, and it goes through all the local and state taxes that are collected. And if people want to talk about different revenue sources, I always tell them, start by looking at the Alaska Taxables report. Um, people might be very surprised to see 
the different sources of revenue that the state does actually have. Um, one of the things that I've argued that instead of an income tax, we should have a seasonal sales tax. And the reason why I say seasonal is because uh, if you take a look at January through uh, March, things are really tough in Alaska. Um, and sales are generally a little bit lower, uh, not just tourism, but just generally sales. People are caught up paying their fuel bill. But if we had a seasonal sales tax that ran maybe, say, May, June, to December, um, we probably could generate enough revenue, probably more revenue than uh, what many people realize. If you take a look at the municipalities, they're very instructive in the sorts of sales taxes that um, generate revenue versus those that don't. And I think if anybody's going to encourage a, a state sales tax, they might want to look at how the different municipalities do it and what works and what doesn't. Um, and I, you know, I'm not going to render an opinion on that, but um, I think that's a good starting point for people who are kind of interested in what kind of taxes we could potentially have and just leave it at that. Well, let me ask you uh, this. I mean, you, you, you know, you've got an economist background here. And so let me, let me ask you this. I mean, um, do you think, based on the numbers and the things that we've been saying that people like Brad and others have been talking about for future, you know, what's happening to the state, the trajectory we're on for spending and everything else, uh, I mean, do you think that we're going to end up with a tax in this state one way or the other? Oh, yeah. Um, unless there's a will to cut spending and cut programs, you're, we're going to end up with a tax. There's no no question in my mind. The question should really be, What's, you know, I mean, honestly, I think there's a lot of room for cutting government spending, but many people disagree with me on that. So, well, um, and it's obvious. Uh, let me just say this, Barbara. That's obvious because we've been talking about cutting government spending on this program for 20 years. Brad and I specifically right. have been talking about it for almost 12 years. And yet I know that we're moving in the opposite direction. So it's almost like at some point you have to acknowledge that there is just not enough political will to do that. So what is the next step if you can't get the cuts in? So what do you where do we go from there? Well, if you're going to end up with a tax, the question then becomes, do you want an income tax or a sales tax? If you implement an income tax, it's, the burden will fall primarily on those who stay here year round. OK, if you have a sales tax, your point of residency won't matter. Um, one thing that Brad, I think, somewhat ignores, and I think this is because he lives in Anchorage um, primarily, is the rest of the state is a very seasonal uh, population. Uh, or and when I say seasonal, I don't mean necessarily like part of the year. Um, we have military bases where people come for a couple of years and leave. Well, if they're only going to be here for a couple of years, why would they change the residency here? So, um, and they don't pay income taxes because they live on base. Of course, there's a pilt that goes to the local government, uh, but probably the one way to get revenue from generally everybody, both the seasonal, the out-of-state, the you know the the mythical out-of-state worker. The um, or not so mythical, depending on where you're living. Uh, the only way to get what I would call a broad base tax that gets everybody is probably a small sales tax 
that is seasonal in nature. How does it? Okay, so uh, l- l- let me let me maybe devil's advocate this for you. Now, first of all, most mm-hmm. people, including economists, say that a sales tax is one of the most regressive. So, how would you fix that component of the regressivity of that tax? Well, first off, um, a tax has to be easy to collect and uh, very difficult to avoid. Income taxes, the rich avoid. They make a sport of it. If you can, if you have, if we have an income tax that's a tied to the federal adjusted gross income, the upper 20% or that Brad likes to talk about, they will hire people who do nothing but minimize their tax liability. And that will carry into the state tax as well as the federal tax. So I think that is kind of a canard to say that it's regressive. Um, If you have a sales tax, say, on I don't know, package of sardines. I'd pick your favorite product. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're what accounting game you're playing with your income taxes, you're still gonna pay that tax on the sardines, right? So um, or on whatever it is you're buying. If you are truly poor and you're on public assistance, you're using probably an EBT card. And those are not taxable purchases because they're government to government. So really the the poorest of our of our people are protected. The upper 20%, they will avoid an income tax. They will find it difficult to avoid a sales tax. And quite frankly, if you fly out of Alaska and you go shopping, say in Seattle, okay, well, the Alderwood Mall is probably the best mall out there that people will go to. That's where I always went. And they've got a 10% sales tax. So um you know, our neighboring jurisdiction, if you will, uh, Seattle, has sales taxes, and that has not stopped Alaskans from flying down there to pay that sales tax. No, because so, I show because I show my Alaska driver's license and I avoid the tax. That's how I get it done. Um, well, not that but, doesn't work in every jurisdiction. Yeah, um, I, I guess my other question is, especially on out-of-state workers. The sales tax doesn't cap because many, most of these out-of-state workers are working on the slope where room and board and everything else is paid for. That's where a lot of the out-of-state workers are. Not all of them, obviously, but a, probably a lion's share. And so you're not capturing any income from the sales uh, from a sales tax for people like that. You're, you're not going to capture their income anyway. That that whole thing is is just crazy. Um, you might capture some bed and breakfast income. That's why I told people, go take a look at the Alaska Taxables Report. Um, rather than arguing with me, go take a look at what is there and what the documentation shows. Um, and if you take a look at, like I said, it, it, I know Brad wants an income tax, but I'm going to tell you something. The upper 20% can minimize that and, and actually figure out how to get a subsidy from it just as easily as they can with every with the federal government. Well, and instead of looking at, I guess, yeah. I would love to have you and Brad discuss this just because, I mean, what about, I mean, again, we're not talking about a progressive tax. We're talking about, Brad has always advocated for a flat tax, which is basically just a flat tax on income of two and a half, three percent, something like that, where it's but, very- it's... but it's, but he wants to tie it to the federal AGI. And that makes sense from a, from the perspective of collecting revenue, right? Right, right. But the, I mean, because you need to make this an easy tax to collect. We don't want to have a huge IRS division in Alaska revenue division 
collecting income taxes. Tying it to the federal AGI is the easiest way analytically to go. But if you are able to avoid a bunch of taxes in your federal income tax right. that carries over into your state sales, your state income tax. So this whole notion of regressivity and progressivity is not taking a look at the broader picture. Right. And that's what I've always argued. Um, it's very easy and very simple analytical model to say, well, yes, this is regressive or progressive because of these things. But when you start looking at actual model uh, program construction, as opposed to the nice analytical world of uh, sterile world, you get a very different picture. The reality so, versus the theory is what you're saying. The theory is great, yes, but the reality yes. might be something different. Well, I mean, again, and, and I've lived in both worlds. So yeah. um, I do know the difference. Yeah, no, I think this would be a very interesting discussion to have, especially because, I mean, I don't know how much money could be generated from a sales tax or what level of sales tax you'd need to generate a significant amount of revenue. But eventually we're going to be there. Well, let me tell you about another tax that a lot of people don't even talk about. There is an underlying assumption that every borough has not only a, a, a property tax, but also something called a personal property tax. And you are being taxed on your personal property, whether or not you, you realize it. Um, so one of the things that really people need to start taking a look at is that personal property tax, because that is the truly onerous piece. See, when you get a property tax bill, even if your borough doesn't collect one, the state assessor puts a certain value, full value determination into that property tax bill, and that includes a personal property tax. And now whether the borough chooses to collect that piece doesn't matter. Um, that goes into something called the required local contribution. And so really looking at that personal property tax piece is where I think we really should be looking. Because if we could get rid of that piece and substitute it with a sales tax, I think the economic burden on, on actual residents would be greatly reduced. Um, All right. And I think we would have better revenue. Well, Barbara, I appreciate yeah, I appreciate the thoughts on this. This is an interesting discussion, and I think it's one we probably need to have because I think at this point, the tax is an inevitability. And if we don't, if we don't address it and look at the options that are ahead of us and don't get ahead of it, we'll probably end up with the worst type of tax we possibly could imagine uh, at that point. And, so, and, and I want people to think about one other thing too. There are um, markets in in this state that are not monetized. Okay. Right. We subsistence economy um for better for worse and i'm not i i actually like the subsistence economy not everyone agrees with me uh but these are non-monetized transactions but right. ultimately those folks do come out into the marketplace and do buy goods yeah eventually so, yeah at one point or another yeah all right, Barbara. So, well, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate you sounding off and joining us. I got time, I think, for one more call before we go to break here with Chris Story. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. This is Carlene and Kodiak. And a shout out, hey, to Barbara Haney. Um, this past October, starting about October 2nd, in the Alaska Beacon, James Brooks had about two or three articles on the PFD Board, and Brad covered it last week, that they were interested in increasing their investments in risk 
you know, with super returns. Right. And then he spoke about um, open, they wanted to open offices globally, and the Alaska Beacon told the cities that they wanted to put those in London, right. New York, and I'm not sure if it was Dubai or where. And then um, the PFD board also wants to borrow money, and I'm guessing that's to invest. Um, that's all I have to say. All right, Barbara. Well, I appreciate your call. Uh, appreciate your call. Thank you for calling in and joining us. Uh, I got one other call on hold, which I'm going to take during the break. But Chris Story is coming up here in just a second. We're going to be back with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Uh, don't forget, you can join us on Facebook as well. Facebook.com/slash Michael Duke Show. If you want to be part of it, uh, we'll be back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, we're in the commercial break right now. I got one more call on hold. Let's go over there real quick to see what they have to say. Good morning, caller. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning. This is Al from Fairbanks. Hello, Al. What's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to point out if you went with a sales tax and being that, uh, you know, Anchorage and Fairbanks are really military dependent and have a lot of veterans that we would just go shop on base, which would be duty free. Well, I mean, yeah, that's anything to avoid the tax. That would probably be the case for many folks, I'm sure. That's what uh, that's what would happen. And I think I don't recall the numbers right off the top of my head, but I'm not sure that a sales tax would generate enough revenue to make a difference unless it was pretty significant. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I think maybe we should have would, this discussion it would have to be absolutely significant. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be significant enough to offset some of the other costs. So I don't know exactly what would happen with that. All right, Al. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate your insight in that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for uh, calling in and joining us. I just got one more call. Uh, uh, before we go to Chris story, good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? It's Rob from down on the peninsula. Hey Rob. Hey, I was just telling you, uh, I'm an electrician down here. You keep having these power issues. You need to get to Generac whole house generator. So as soon as power kicks off, you got power instantaneously. It comes on, turns your whole house on and you won't lose the show if you're working from home. And yeah, we put in about thirty so far this season. <laughs> but, yeah, oh, I'd love to do it. Yeah, no, I'd love. I got one uh, in my house. And it's awesome. Yeah, no, I'd love to do that. It's a pretty significant investment, though. So I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if uh, if I got the shekels for that, Rob. It would be yeah. great. I mean, all things being equal, if I had a if I had a magic genie, I definitely would have a Generac system for the house here for sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, tech. Technically, it could be a business write-off because you could need it for the show. So, yeah, you might be able to incorporate that through your business. Oh, there you go. Well, I appreciate it, Rob. Thank you for uh, sounding off and joining us. I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for coming on. All right, let me close the phones down so that we don't get any more phone calls in the meanwhile. And then we'll jump over here to... uh, 
and go over to Chris Story. There we go. Oh, 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 let me go over here and see what Mr. St- Miss, they call him Mr. Story. Let's see what he has to say this morning. Good morning, Michael. Hello, my friend. Hello. Are you ready to talk about booty? Backyard booty, as long as it's backyard booty. Backyard. Yeah, I'm all uh, Donna wanted to know if you're changing the name of the backyard millionaire to that because that would sell you some books, baby. Backyard booty. I'm thinking about a compendium, kind of a yeah, yeah. sequel. I think that would that would be perfect, man. Uh, you would sell a, shades of backyard booty. Yeah, you'd you'd sell a ton of those books, but people would be like, "This is not what I was looking for. What's going on?" Uh, it would be uh, you know one of those things for sure. Um, <laughs> All right, um, then we're all ready to go here. Uh, how's 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 life treating you? Everything good? Fantastic. No complaints. No snow down here either. It's uh, the banana belt of the. Is it really? Is it, really it is. been staying pretty yeah. nice? Have you gotten? Have you guys gotten oh, much totally. snow? No, Mm-mm, almost nothing. Well, it uh, you know I wish I wish uh, one of these days uh, we'll get a little further south and we'll deal with that. I got to tell you, as I get older, I just discovered that I kind of hate snow more and more. I, I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> my wife said something about it, and my mom put this really nice post on Facebook about how great snow is and all the sledding and all this <laughs> other kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, mom, I love you, and you're right in for many of those things. But then I got to put up with all this other stuff, and I just rather not. Uh, I'd just rather not deal with it. So it's just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. You got green grass. You got green. You got green. So do I. It's just under the snow. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm pretending that I know that it's there. So uh, it'll all be good. Okay. So we're going to get with Chris here in just a second for backyard bootay. We're going to talk with him. Let me go back up here and see what uh, uh, you guys have been saying. Uh, Barbara knows what she's talking about and is an actual economist. I know. That's why I was asking her questions. I like uh, I like to uh, to talk to her about it. Jim is uh, uh, in agreement with Barbara. Tax consumption, not production. Um, uh, implemented. <laughs> Brian says they should implement an exit tax. Make it too make it too expensive for people to leave Alaska. Um, yeah, I mean that'd be the one way to do it. Uh, Kathleen says apparently Washington eliminated the Alaskans from the no sales tax. I didn't. I haven't been to Seattle in five years, four years, five years. So apparently they eliminated that. Uh, I used that to, to a lot when I was down in Seattle the last time. Um, regardless of the tax, the spending faucet needs to be turned off. Said Cindy, our sin, our state does not have does not have the will. She's a hundred percent right, and and that's exactly what I've been trying to say. Is that you know, all of us here, I think almost everybody in this chat room could agree. And everybody listening to this podcast would agree that the state needs to spend less. Unfortunately, none of us are in charge. It's all those legislators who know better than us what we need to do. And they need more, M-O-A-R, more money. All right, uh, we're going to continue here. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. It's time. It's that time of the week where we get our positivity uplift, our betterment segment. It's the man, the myth, the legend. We call him Christopher Story. Good morning, my friend. 
you got to talk to us today about a little backyard booty. Uh, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with that, but I'm going to say it anyway. What's going on? I think it's the way you're saying it that's making us uncomfortable. Yeah, it it's could not be. the word. Like, well, you know, if <laughs> you said word. it, it always depends on how you say it. You know, it could be backyard booty, you know, or it could be, yeah, ah, that's some backyard booty there. You know, I mean, what, you know, what is it? Yes, put on your pirate patch. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Because by definition, booty means something that is gained or won. That's the informal definition. It's gained right. or won, or it is basically stolen treasure. But right, either right. which way, I'm referencing treasure, and I, I just don't know what that affectation you're putting on the word, why you have to, to do that. But uh, the salaciousness is the hallmark of morning radio, is it not? Salaciousness is the hallmark of a feeble mind. I mean, I'm just saying it right there. <laughs> uh, so tell us tell us about the backyard treasure, the backyard booty that you're looking for. Well, the the sub that's not a subtitle, but well, when I went to publish the backyard millionaire, how to create wealth, where you are with what you've got, available all wherever books are sold. When I went to publish that, the, the um, I had a small description on the back of the book. And the publisher said, okay, you know, everything's proof set, you know, it's ready. You just need to um, acknowledge that you've reviewed and approved it and we'll go to print. And I was like, yeah, it looks good. And then I quickly said, stop the presses. I want to add one line. And this is what I added. Life's real treasures are often closer than you think. Your purpose, wealth, and wondrous life are waiting for you right there in your own backyard. And that is I what I really mean by backyard booty is the treasures of life, what really matters, and the impact, the purpose, wealth creation, it happens within arm's length, not off and distant shores. It can, but it mustn't. You don't need to travel anywhere. You can find what you're looking for right here, right there, where you are. And that includes, obviously, what I'm talking about predominantly in in my work is real estate investment that's your literal backyard but it can also include money created through and purpose and and real meaning created in your life through art uh crafts making and selling of these items or services particularly dirty jobs uh, any service that you can provide on the side for other people doing jobs they don't want to do themselves can create an incredible amount of booty in your own backyard. Franchises are incredible opportunities, podcasting, voiceover work. You know better than anybody, Michael, that that has now through technology and the internet combined to the gatekeepers are gone. There's no reason you can't do your own uh, program or voice work wherever you are. You needn't be near a studio. In fact, most voiceover artists like yourself aren't in studios. They have home studios and the equipment is affordable now and you can order it tomorrow and be in business the next day books or writing a blog property management storage solutions people are starting to recognize huh we americans store a lot of stuff and i know right in my own backyard storage solutions are popping up people are recognizing hey that's something i could do on the side uh, hard money lending let's say you've got money you don't know what to do with it you're not thrilled with the interest rate you're making in a bank you on the side could become a hard money lender. You don't have to break legs. There's off, there's real ways to do this that uh, where you are, people have needs. And if you have the solution, you can work full time on whatever it is you're doing right now and part time 
on your future fortune, as Jim Rohn would say, or that backyard booty. So it's just an awareness and a wake-up call with the salacious title that, hey, wait a minute, if you want life-changing money in your life could be an additional 1000 or $2,000 a month that could change the nature with which you live, then it's available right here, right now. And you just have to open your eyes and your mind will follow. That's what I was just going to say. You have to see it. That's the thing. You have to be looking for it. And a lot of times people are looking for, I don't know, you know, you always hear about the get rich quick schemes. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> those are usually mutually exclusive, right? That you either get rich or you can do it quick. One of the two. It's not, well, it's not one or the other, but you've got to look for those opportunities. It's find a need, fill a need, right? With what you have going yes. on. And it's right here. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to reinvent the next greatest widget, although you could if you wanted to, but there are so many opportunities right over your back fence that you just, you miss because it's so, it's like you're shooting for the stars and you're missing the, you're missing the gold mine in your backyard. Precisely. Exactly. I couldn't I couldn't have said it better. And one thing I'd like to do, in fact, I was just working with somebody last week who we're providing some coaching to. And and with this person, I just said, okay, set a waypoint and the way will appear. You don't need to worry about how right now. Figure out why do you want to do this? What do you want to do? And the how will work itself out. So for for her, I said, write this goal down and just visualize it and repeat it. It isn't necessarily about mantras or anything like that. It's just a, a almost creating a treasure map. And you just write down, I'm happily enjoying an extra $1,000 a month by January 25th of 2024. I'll be earning and saving an additional $1,000 per month. I see it, believe it, I will receive it. And just to look at that and just have paste that up somewhere, your phone, could be the screensaver, it could be a note on your mirror, it could be anything, but just put that awareness in your mind and then the way will appear. And I've done this repeatedly in my life to a point where I know it works and I can't necessarily explain it, but you do have to have a faith and you have to put belief behind it. Uh, or if you're out there looking to disprove it, well, then you'll disprove it. But if you, if you can look at that Bigfoot picture and go, hmm, I know it's a little grainy, blurry and in black and white, but I see a Bigfoot, then you'll receive it. You just have to have faith and, and put something into action. And you could replace the word uh, or the, the numbers of 1,000. Could be 10,000, could be 2,000, could be 500, could be as large or small as you want. Set the waypoint, take action, and a way will appear. You say you can't explain it, but I, I know you can. I mean, we've talked about the biological processes of the brain, reprogramming that thing, controlling our mindset, you know, programming our self-conscious. Uh, we've also talked about the nature of reality, how reality itself, uh, you know, is malleable. And on even on the quantum level that things can be changed, the observer effect and other things, you know, based on what people believe and what people see, things can change. So we know that these things are possible. It's just a matter of, you know, it's one of those things where it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple to lay it all out, but it's not easy to adhere to those kind of things. Agreed, 100%. And you're right, it can be explained. It needn't be. You can, but you don't have to know the scientific uh, explanation. You don't have to look at the MRI research to understand brain mechanics in the, in, in the quantum field and all of that. You can simply say, I want to experiment with this. I want to try it. I don't necessarily have to understand it to try it and go, it works. This absolutely works. And it could work right where you are. You don't need any higher education, however you can. But I think that's the place to hide. I think if you feel like, oh, 
I don't have the degree. I don't have the certification. I don't have the license or whatever. Obviously, some some things require a license, and you can't you cannot circumnavigate. If you have to, you can't go around that. You have to go get the license if it's required. But I'm just saying, sometimes we hide in the education or lack thereof, or I'll, I'll you know I'll wait till the kids are out of school, then I'll go and get retrained or something. And it, you need. I love telling the story about this little family that used to sell when I was doing the pottery shows in the fair circuit, this little family would show up with their jewelry they made together, mom, dad, and two kids around the kitchen table. And those guys were making thousands of dollars a weekend at these fairs selling the jewelry that they made as a family. And I just so admired that. They didn't have to really go anywhere. They just, they did it in their own home and then went out and they were teaching the kids, this is entrepreneurialism. We have jobs and yet we work part-time on this future fortune and the kids were taking over the business as they were getting older. So it's right here, right where you are, even as close as your kitchen table. Final thoughts here, Chris story on backyard booty. Give it to me here. Well, easy. Uh, it's yeah. just essentially, uh, essentially I love this, this notion. Think about it. Work full-time on your job, part-time on your future fortune. And that fortune, by the way, could be your health, could be wealth, or better relationships you get to decide yeah and again just peek over that back fence take a look at what's around you take a look at you know find a need fill a need you don't have to look far afield it could be right next door and you didn't even know it until you opened your eyes and saw with new eyes uh that uh, programming of the brain part that chris just went over you should go back and listen to that again on the podcast because that's important stuff chris thank you so much my friend i appreciate you uh, coming on board as usual my pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Hold the line for a second. Folks, we are out of time. We got more tomorrow. Um, working on some guests. We'll we'll see what happens then. Thanks for coming on and joining us. Uh, we will see you then. Be kind, love one another, and live well. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Chris story, uh, the after show, final final little blurb here. I mean, I think you know you're you're self-effacing in the way you say you can't explain it. I think some people need to have it explained, but you're right. It works whether you understand it or not. Um, I mean, I've mm -hmm. told stories on this program of visualization and and you know kind of manifesting and self-actualization. It does work. You don't necessarily even have to understand it. But again, for some people, it's just so touchy feely new agey crystally you know i program myself to do this that just doesn't make sense they just they can't go on the faith of you know hung by the hung by the tongue snared by the words of your mouth kind of thing uh even though you know the the word talks about that quite a bit um it, they just they just can't seem to wrap their brain around that idea and i think the message that i was hoping to expound upon and share isn't necessarily for those who are scientifically skeptical that's something got to do their own research you got to find their own answers got to do their own um scientific studies i'm talking to the person who needed to hear that it, it was like you know what yeah i'm gonna try it i'm gonna do it and I, I don't know whether it's gonna work or not but i'm gonna do it i'm gonna go into it with faith that it will work i don't need to see the proof or the evidence up front i just needed to hear that message and bump somebody off of start and just get yeah. them moving. And once you get moving, once there's, you know, you have some motion and locomotion takes over, next thing you know, you're looking back going, oh my God, I can't believe this worked. I, I have uh, journals and I look back at some of the um, 
some of the entries from say 20 years ago or 15 years ago or something and the things that i was writing that i will be happily enjoying i do and have and have accomplished and it's like man i, I couldn't have seen the way where i was writing that i just had faith that it was going to happen right and i think that's the message that i'm delivering is you know there is scientific research that backs this up you can prove it you can talk about the reticular activating system you can talk about oh, the amygdala or the whole all the parts of the brain the prefrontal cortex and all of these things you could try to get into the weeds of it or you could say you know what i need an extra thousand a month i'm going to try this i'm going to do it this is life-changing for me if i could earn an extra five thousand whatever it is or i i could get out of a work that i i don't necessarily feel is on purpose for me and try something new i like the idea of blooming where you're planted for now and letting the cup runneth over such that then you can flow into something else it isn't about just you know the gra greener grass over there beyond your fence it is literally growing where you are and yet still performing something on the side it needn't take over your life but it can improve and change your life if you have faith and you put some belief behind it and visualize it, it will it will happen for you. I want you to go back real quick to that mantra that you just, I mean, you said it's not a mantra, but it is. It's your programming yourself. So go back to what you said again, um, the verbiage that you use, because I think that's important if somebody wants to write this down. Um, and well I, it, well, I shared this with, with somebody that we were providing some coaching for, and they're, they're looking for uh, something very specific in their life. And so I said, okay, well, write this down. I'm happily enjoying an extra $1,000 a month by January 25th, 2024, I will be earning and saving an additional $1,000 per month. I see it. I believe it. I will receive it. Yeah. And then my other point was just to back that up with a real burning desire backed with action. And so it's far more than just yeah. putting this mantra or this statement where you can see it. Do right. that because then it's constantly in your mind, but then do something with it. And you need to know what to do but start doing something and taking action and next thing you know, the way will appear. Right. It's not magic. It's not like a magic spell that you're chanting and it's just going to happen. You've got to put it into action, uh, which I think is important. But at the same time, the programming of your mind so that it starts to see things and see opportunities. So it starts to look, your subconscious goes to work on it. It's amazing how you can make connections in your mind on things that before you never would have because your subconscious is constantly churning away at it. And I think that's important for folks to, uh, to acknowledge and to know about for sure. And I'm proud to have been your first booty call this morning. Hey, I'm always looking for a good booty call in the morning. <laughs> Our booty. We love that. Um, <laughs> all right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for coming on board. As always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for, thank you for making our lives better. I appreciate it. All, all my best, Michael. Have a great day. All right. You too, sir. All right, folks, that does it for me today. I am out of here. Uh, we got more coming up uh, tomorrow. Yep, that's it tomorrow. We're going to enjoy it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget, you can always check us out on the Common Sense Core, which is where you go to help support the show if you want to become a patron over there. You could do that as well. All right, we will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 